Welcome to the TNT EdTech Podcast. We know tech. We are your hosts. I'm Scott, the teacher. And I'm Matthew, the tech coach. TNT EdTech Podcast, we're powered by Q. Welcome to the M&M Podcast with Matt Miller <laughs> and Matthew Ketchum. <laughs> Today we have Matt Miller. He's a blogger, author, speaker, and educator with more than 10 years of classroom experience. He's the author of three books, Ditch That Textbook, Ditch That Homework, and Don't Ditch That Tech. He is the co-host of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Matt is a Google certified innovator PBS Learning Media Digital Innovator, and two-time BAMI Awards nominee. His Ditch That Textbook blog encourages tens of thousands of educators in more than 100 countries to use technology and creative ideas in teaching. You can follow Matt at matt at ditchthattextbook.com or on Twitter at jmattmiller. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate you guys inviting me on. And I'm just kidding. This is still the TNT EdTech Podcast, but I thought it'd be a great way since we have two mats on to rename the podcast. That's right. Do we really need Scott, though? I mean, we can just do this <laughs> ourselves. We were chatting about this off air about how it would totally make a great podcast to do like the M&M podcast instead of TNT, you know. But don't tell Scott that. Oh, wait, is Scott on this recording i think so yeah, yeah i'm still here i'm in the background i'm hanging out <laughs> all right <laughs> all right fine we'll let scott be on yeah. <laughs> just kidding so i'm using your blog all the time anytime i do pd with teachers uh showcasing additional ideas that they can use a lot of the google apps for do you have a favorite tip for google slides that you like Oh my goodness. This is like asking me to pick between my children. This is, <laughs> this is difficult. You know, slides is, is definitely, um, you know, most days when you ask me what my favorite tool is in the G suite, it's usually slides just because it's so flexible. Um, so versatile. Um, you know, I think a lot of times it's easy for us to get that sort of narrow mindset and we think, Oh, well slides is that tool where, you know, you use it for oral presentations in front of the class or we'll think like docs is that one where you have to write essays with it. But slides is one of those that you can use for so many different things. Um, you know, I've got, I could think of a million different tips for, for slides. Let me give you two. Um, am I allowed to give you two? We'll accept it. It's acceptable. Okay, good. All right. So um, one of them is that if you're not going to display slides on a screen, that you can make the slide whatever size you want. If you wanted it to be a square, if you wanted it to be kind of like a long a horizontal strip, if you wanted it to be, you know, just about whatever size, um, you know, you can go to file page setup and change it to a custom size. Now, of course, um, slides already has the you know, four by three and the 16 by nine dimensions, which are the standard slide dimensions. But um, but you can make it to be just about whatever you want. Um, that's especially useful if you're going to download one of the slides as an image um, to be able to make it that size. So that's one. And then the other one 
is whenever you're using slides for design purposes or for interactive activities or whatever, um, there's lots of, of potential in doing that. And um, I think one of the ways that we can set our students up for success for those kinds of activities is to drop some objects in the space around the slide. So the space around the slide, sometimes people only think of the slide and they don't think of that gray space around it. I call that, I think that's like your, your workspace or, um, you know, workspace is probably the best way. And before you, you know, if you want to make a copy for each student, you know, so often in Google Classroom, if we distribute something out to students by, uh, you know, attaching it to a Google Classroom assignment, and we go to make a copy for each student. Before we do that, we can drop some little images or some text boxes or some, you know, just a, uh, some shapes in there that we think is something that they will use. So one of my favorite ways to do that is to drop icons. I like to use icons from the noun project. If you go to thenounproject.com, you can get these icons. And so what I'll do is I'll drop a whole bunch of those icons in the space around so that students are able to just drag those onto the, the slide. Because we all know that, or if you don't know, you may find at some point that if you want students to go find a picture or an icon or an image to put on their slides, sometimes they will take 15 minutes looking for the perfect one. Yes. So, so if you have some of them waiting at the ready right there in that workspace, um, and then you go to make a copy for each student, then that can sort of save everybody some time by having it all there. And you don't have to give them those, you know, the, you don't have the kids that are spending 15 minutes looking for the perfect image. That's a great pro tip. I really like that. There was one that you shared with Google Slides that includes uh, geo-tracking. Um, maybe that's not the precise term, but uh, where you give a tour and with Google Maps and then you bring that back into Google Slides. I thought that was pretty cool. I've done that a bunch since oh, yeah. last spring. Uh, that's my favorite activity. Yeah. My kids love it. Yeah, are you talking about the one where if you go out onto Google Maps Street View, that's where like you take the little yellow guy and you drop him down onto the screen and it gives you the street view and then you take a screenshot of some place on the street and you drop it into Google Slides. Is that what yeah, you're talking about? That's the one. That's yeah, yeah. my all-time favorite. I, I love, love that one. And see, when I was in, in the classroom teaching high school Spanish, I loved that because it meant that we could go just about anywhere around the world and study, um, you know, Hispanic culture, you know, culture of Spanish speaking countries, but really just about any type of content or any grade level, if there's anything related to a map um, or if, you know, some, if you, if some of that street view imagery could be a good visual for what it is that you want to do, you know, just grabbing a screenshot off of that, stick it in the slides. Um, and even, taking those slides and making a screencast video of them where you're describing what's going on in the picture. Yeah, there's that is fertile ground for being able to use some of that real life, authentic, some of those images um, that really make you feel like you're right down there on the street just about anywhere around the world. So yeah, yeah, I, I totally love that one too. Yeah, I love that. What kind of pro tips do you have for those that might want to 
get started with writing? What are some pro tips you have that are kind of just universal and applicable to most people? You mean if we like want to start writing like in a blog, like for ourselves or like writing with students or? I'm thinking specifically with being a published author like yourself, or if you're considering that um, or considering blogging, I know those are two separate things, but it seems like a lot of people maybe start with blogging, then go into the full on authorship. Sure. Yeah. And you know, um, when I very first started writing, um, I started publish, I started publishing posts on a wordpress.com blog and I had no interest in being a published author. Um, I know that there are probably some people out there that think that that is the road to being able to publish a book and then they will have made it. I wasn't even thinking about that when I started my blog. Um, so I started this um, free WordPress.com blog. You know, WordPress.com is one of the places you can go. You know, you can go to Blogger. Um, you know, there's a wide variety of of places where you can have a free um, blog hosted. And um, you know, for me, I I just you know kind of liked writing, and I was excited about some of the things I was learning about that I could try in my classroom. Some of the new things I was trying, and I just wanted to share them. Um, I also knew that so many other education bloggers had helped me out, and I felt like it was my turn to give back. Um, you know, I I. I mentioned in in my book, Ditch That Textbook, that there's this cycle, you know, give help, get help, repeat. And I had gotten so much help, I felt like it was my turn to give back. And so um, I started just writing about what I was doing in my classroom. Um, Whether it was successful or not, I just wanted to write about what was going on in hopes that maybe those reflections could help somebody else. And so I started to find that if I wrote and I shared it out on Twitter using some, you know, some hashtags where I knew people would be looking for this kind of thing, I thought maybe some people might um, find it and they might find it useful. And they did, you know, slowly but surely. One thing that I also found was that by writing in this blog, um, I wasn't just helping other people. I was helping myself because it gave me that opportunity to reflect on what I was doing, that I started to realize I wasn't doing naturally. I wasn't reflecting on my teaching naturally. Um, What I was doing was I was planning lessons for every single day, and then I would get done with that, and then I would move on to the next day's lesson. And I think part of that is that, you know, I had so much stuff on my plate, I just didn't feel like I had time to reflect. But when I started to write about what I was teaching in my blog, I started to find that it forced me to think about why I did what I did. And it forced me to think about the steps that I took so that I could share them with other people so that they could do them. And it forced me to think about how my students responded to it and also how I would tell the story of what had happened in my classroom. And when I started doing all of those things, I started to realize that I had a much deeper understanding of what I was doing in the classroom. Um, One thing that really helped me through all of that was that I tried to force myself to be very regular about my blogging, to be very intentional. For the first three years or so of blogging, I like religiously posted every Monday and every Thursday. 
So I posted twice a week. Now that's not to say that there's a magic formula to posting twice a week um, or on Mondays or on Thursdays. <laughs> that just happened to work for me. Um, fun fact about me, I didn't, I wasn't an education major in college. I was a journalism major. So, you know, I've always kind of liked writing. Um, so it just, it just seemed like a natural fit for me. But I found that when I showed up on a regular basis on Mondays, on Thursdays, you know, whatever the the schedule was. In that case, that was the one that I picked for me. It forced me to have to find something to write about. Even if I didn't think that it was great, I still showed up and I still contributed. And what that also meant was that for other people who were starting to read my stuff, it helped them to realize when they could find it because I started to get into that natural rhythm. And when they started to find out this is when I know Matt is going to write something. And this is what I'm starting to find that he is about. You know, when, when people started to see that, I think that's when it started to get those, you know, repeat readers, those people who, who started to read my stuff on a regular basis. And it was fun because I realized that I was putting stuff out in the world that was helping other people. And it kind of gave me that sense of purpose. And that's what drove me to continue to write. So <laughs> you know, I kind of rambled there a little bit. That was a whole bunch of stuff about, about writing, but I'd say those are some of the big things um, when it comes to that is that, you know, it's my opportunity to give back. It gives me an opportunity to reflect. And then when I show up on a regular basis, people know when and where to find me and they know what I'm all about. So those, those are kind of the, the big things for me when I was getting started writing. I think those are all great. Earlier, Matthew and I were talking about your titles as well. They're so catchy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Matthew, what what did you want to ask him about those titles? I know you had a specific question. Yes, I did. I wish I could tell you that, that I had some big master plan and that I'm like this marketing genius that came up with all of this. I, I shouldn't even say marketing genius because <laughs> the, the truth is, is that I really just kind of stumbled into all of this stuff. Um, Ditch That Textbook started because I was a high school Spanish teacher teaching the traditional way out of the textbook, workbooks and worksheets and everything. And I started to realize that the students in my high school Spanish classes couldn't speak Spanish. They were doing all this work, but they couldn't speak Spanish. And um, I just started experimenting with things in my own classroom, trying to figure out what worked, trying to find a better way to teach Spanish. And um, when things started to work, when I was started learning things on Twitter and trying new things in my classroom, I wanted to share them. And so I thought, hey, the blog is, you know, something that I wanted to try. And so I was racking my brain for a name for this thing. And of course, at that point, I had no idea if it would catch on or what it would be or anything. And so I remember I was out on a run. So I was on like this four mile run. I just got done with mile two, turned the corner for mile three. And it just sort of like dawned on me. I'm like, well, I quit using my textbooks at one point because I didn't think they were serving my students and learning Spanish. Maybe something about quitting using your textbooks and all of a sudden just ditch that textbook sort of stuck. And um, 
And so I just kind of, I was consistent with it. And so I consistently stuck with ditch that textbook, ditch that textbook, ditch that textbook. And um, I didn't even think about expanding it out into other stuff. But, you know, for some reason, it was just fun to do ditch that. And then we it started being sort of interchangeable. I remember like, um, you know, every once in a while, people would, you know, make ditch that jokes on Twitter, you know, like maybe you should, you know, maybe you should ditch that. I don't know. I can't even think of anything off the top of my head. Right. And so, you know, it was just like little by little. And then, um, I was talking to Alice Keeler at one point. Um, if anybody's listening, Alice is real big on Twitter. She's, you know, like the queen of spreadsheets on Google and she's a Google classroom, well-known expert on that. And we had been talking about, um, our frustrations with homework. And she said, we need to write a book and it needs to be called ditch that homework because that's kind of how we both feel about homework. And all of a sudden I started to, you know, sometime after that, I started thinking, well, if I have ditched that textbook and I have ditched that homework, what else could we ditch? And, um, <laughs> it's, it's sort of a tricky thing too, that I've got to be careful with, because whenever you say to right. ditch something that inherently says that something is wrong. Yeah. So you got to be careful not to be too negative about it. And also you, you have, you, you run the risk of exasperating people because they're like, well, I can't use my textbooks and I can't use homework and I can't do this and I can't do that if I've got to ditch all of it. So what can I use? Um, that's one of the things I love about Dave Burgess's brand of teach like a pirate. First of all, pirates are fun. Teach like a pirate encourages you to do something instead of not doing something. And so then you get, you know, learn like a pirate, lead like a pirate, play like a pirate, explore like a pirate. And you get all of these like a pirate things. That's fun. It's, you know, inherently positive. So I think that he sort of nailed it a little bit better than I did as far as branding goes. But as far as the titles go, I really did just sort of stumble into it and, um, you know, just kind of kind of run with it. And so, you know, we've got a few ditch titles. There's a couple of other ones potentially in the works that I've been talking to people about. It's not something that I go out and try to make happen, but, you know, it's just resonated with a couple of different ideas and we've kind of gone with it. Uh, one of your newer books is Don't Ditch That Tech. <laughs> right. Um, and it's about differentiating instruction with the digital world. Yes. When we have these class sizes of like 40 students or a little bit more, how does a teacher even start to differentiate? Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, and that's something that we really dig into in the book. You know, I think a common myth about differentiated instruction is that whenever you've got those 40 kids in your classroom that you have to come up with 40 different lesson plans or you have to come up with 40 different assignments to give kids and that it ends up being all this extra work. And the reality is, is that we can use some of our digital tools to help do some of that for us by giving students for instance, giving them some choice or giving, you know, putting several options out there and letting students self-select, you know, that's, that's one clear and easy way to do it. When you have kids, um, you know, working together as peers, then all of a sudden, you know, that, that allows a little bit of that, um, differentiation to come into play. Um, you know, I think, you know, even with, um, 
some of the tools like Google Forms and some of that other stuff where we're able to offer feedback based on a selection. You know, those are those are clear ways where um, you know where we're able to do it once and create the framework so that students kind of self-select their way in. Another big push that we make in the book is about metacognition, you know, thinking about our thinking and reflecting and all of that. And I think whenever we help students to think their way through so that they know how their brain works. We, we talk about, um, you know, self-feedback and peer feedback too. Whenever students know how to give good feedback and to give critical feedback to themselves, you know, then all of a sudden some of that burden comes off the teacher. And it's not just about making things easier for us, but it also does empower kids to be smarter learners and to be able to, you know, to become those lifelong learners. You know, we talk about that a lot in school mission statements. We want students to become lifelong learners. But what does that really mean? You know, I think in that way, it means that they are empowered to know what's best for them and to be able to make smart decisions instead of relying on the teacher. And that's really what this is all about. So, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the the technology that we've got just plays so nicely into all of that. And I think that, you know, those are those are some of the big things that we really push for in the book. No, those are all great things. Uh, I've shared with my students uh, your books and your ideas, and they really like them as well. I know they really appreciate the homework part, ditching the homework and uh, having limited homework from my class. They really do enjoy that. And we've been discussing a lot the idea of ditching that final at the secondary level, not Uh, completely ditching it. Um, but when you allowed me to hop on as a guest blogger, I kind of dipped into that realm a little bit. So that was great. Um, do you foresee anything like that in the works? As far as ditching finals or like formative assessment, traditional formative assessments and going deeper into things like, uh, PBL or, Mm -hmm. um, differentiated assessments. Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the great things that I've gotten from <laughs> to take kind of a strange, uh, side road on this, but I promise we're going to the same destination. Um, <laughs> I, this is one of the things that I really love about being connected, uh, through Twitter and social media and to other like-minded teachers is that I'm starting to see, more and more people going out on a limb and trying some of this stuff and seeing some real success in it. You know, um, for instance, for you, um, in your, in your post, you're all about connecting these assessments to design thinking and to giving, um, solid feedback and to encouraging, um, students to embrace failure and learn from it. You know, those are, I think some of the, the big ways, Um, And I think that all of us have had some sort of frustrations with traditional assessments, you know, be it um, standardized tests or final exams or unit exams or even end of chapter exams. Um, I know for me, I've felt like if I just do the standard multiple choice test, that sometimes it starts to feel like a game of gotcha. and. Mm You know, sometimes students will mark an answer and they'll think that they have a good rationale for it. 
and they will have a good rationale for it. And if they were able to explain their answer, then they would show you how much they had actually learned. But the multiple choice answer sort of um, limits them to trying to figure out what you were thinking when you were writing those possible answers. And that's such a slippery slope for so many kids. Um, but then of course you've got to balance that with the ability to grade and the ability to provide meaningful feedback and being able to get that feedback back to students in a timely manner. It's, it's so tricky, but I think I, I'm always so impressed by the teachers who are willing to try something where they go, what are my goals for this assessment? What do I really want to know? You know, do I want to know how students are thinking? Do I want them to show me what they know? Do I want them to demonstrate a skill? And then they go, what's the best way for the student to do that? Instead of just thinking, how can I fit this into a 50 question multiple choice test? They're going, how can I have students show me what I want them to show me? And when they start to do that, you start to see all of these cool creative ideas come out on assessment. And I think that's what education is missing sometimes. And some of the best, most innovative, most effective teachers that I know are the ones who are willing to go down that tricky path where sometimes there's no clear and obvious answer. And they're willing to go try some of that stuff out. And then if it doesn't go the way that they hope, then they learn from that and they make it better next time. And then now all of a sudden, you know, they're starting to create those assessments that really do peer into the minds of the students and really get to see how they tick and how they think and how they solve problems instead of just, you know, hoping that a student picks the right answer on a vague multiple choice question. So um, <laughs> I hope that answers your question. But yes, I do see, you know, the, the ones, the teachers that are forging forward and are trying new answers to assessment. Those are the ones that really, really impress me, including you, Scott, because I've seen hey, some hey, of the cool thanks. things that you're doing. Hey, and thank you again for amplifying my voice. You, yeah. You've done that consistently for me. And that honestly means the world to have somebody like you that's obtained a great amount of success and has many like just influential connections like you mentioned dave burgess we have casey bell alice keeler and the list goes on and on and on uh, and then you have all those that look up to you like myself um i really appreciate that and one of my all-time favorite moments was this summer at ISTE when <laughs> i was in your ditch summit uh session and you elevated oh, the, my voice again. Yeah, during yeah, the yeah, panel, yeah. yes. And you brought up my tweet. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, I really appreciated that. That was something you didn't have to do. And yeah. it was genuine. It, it wasn't forced. And it caught me off guard. Matthew you had to elbow me. <laughs> really? It was a surreal moment. Like, oh, he's talking to you, Scott. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's, that's something, if I can elaborate on that for just a second. That is 
is that is really something that's at the core of my beliefs is that there is so much good happening out all over the education world. I mean, if you look at just the United States, we have millions of teachers. And in every single one of those classrooms, probably each one of those millions of teachers has something that they're really good at. And, you know, if if we just, if those of us that have the opportunity to spread the good word, if we just stick with what's in our own brain, then that means the people that are paying attention to what we have to say only get one brain's worth of ideas. And if we can, you know, if, if I get the opportunity to amplify other people's voices through guest blogs, through, you know, having them on a podcast or by, you know, amplifying their voice through my Ditch That Textbook Digital Summit in December and, you know, in a conference session and a panel just by throwing out their tweets, you know. Another thing that I love is that um, we have this uh, weekly Twitter chat, the Ditch Book Twitter chat that happens on Thursday evenings, uh, 7 Pacific. It's only a quick 30 minutes. And um, what we at Ditch That Textbook have been doing is we've been um, pulling the best tweets out of those posts or out of those um, Twitter chats and then publishing them as blog posts. So now some of those great ideas that are shared in Twitter chats, anybody that's listening to this, if you've ever participated in a Twitter chat, you probably know there was way too much genius being spilled out into that Twitter chat for you to absorb in one half hour or one full hour. And so we just try to cull all of the best stuff, you know, pull all of the best tweets and stick them in and make sure that we get other people's voices out. And I think with all of the brilliance that's out there in the education world, I think that that's something that you can't go wrong with is, you know, elevating and appreciating and sharing the voice of teachers who really get it. No, I think that's awesome. And you're also doing that with your podcast. I want to dip into that a little bit. Um, tell us, how did you get started with this podcast with Casey Bell? Yeah, that's that's kind of a, a funny story. I'll give you the quick version of it. Um, Casey and I were familiar with each other's work um, prior to, I'd say, 2015. You know, both of us were still sort of getting our footing as bloggers and on social media and everything, trying to figure out what we were all about and, um, you know, just trying to help people however we could. Um, both of us got selected to go to the, what was called the Google Teacher Academy at the time. Now it's called the Google uh, Innovator Academy. And um, so we got to go with 50 other teachers to Austin, Texas um, to learn from each other and um, you know, to, to develop a project that we wanted to do. And Casey and I were kind of struggling. Um, we, we were familiar with each other. We really met each other there. And we just kept asking, like, how can we work together? What can we do together? Because, you know, we knew that we were very like-minded in many ways. And it took us about a year after Google Teacher Academy was over. And all of a sudden, it just sort of dawned on us, we need to make a podcast. Part of it was that we were both kind of excited about the podcasting medium. You know, there's there's something very familiar and very personal about having your voice go into the earbuds of somebody on a regular basis. Um, but we also saw that there was a huge void in um, the fact that there were lots of teachers using Google tools in the classroom. And we didn't see a regular, you know, highly, um, well, professionally done 
podcast out there, um, you know, just like weekly or more often or something. Um, we just didn't see anything like that. And so we thought, what if we just, you know, we're just going to start something like that. And um, we decided that we would have Google News because Google's always changing. We decided that we would have practical ideas that teachers could use because we had found that that's what people loved on our blogs. And then we would also take um, feedback and questions and ideas from the listeners because we called it the Google Teacher Tribe. We really did want it to be a tribe of like-minded educators. Um, so to be able to build community, we wanted to include their voices as much as possible. And so that's kind of where it all came together. That's the intentionality behind it. And, um, we're very fortunate that we've been doing it for a little while now. We're entering our fourth season, our fourth year. We're up into the nineties on episodes. And as of today, as far as the recording date of this episode, we just crossed over 1 million downloads, which just blows my mind <laughs> yeah congratulations downloaded so much yeah it's just it's just amazing we're we're very very uh you know grateful and and humbled that people want to listen to us and uh, we want to keep bringing in the best stuff that we can so that's that's kind of the the entry point into that into that podcast right that's amazing hopefully uh we can come somewhat close in four years I don't yeah. know. That's a lofty goal. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of downloads and, you know, in that amount of time and we're, we're fortunate. I, you know, I don't know how it worked out the way that it did, but we, we certainly do, you know, love our tribe and love the folks that, that listen to it. And um, it's, it's, it really has been a fun ride, but I got, I got to tell you though, you know, you got to be careful with numbers too, you know, um, you know, Numbers like downloads can be what I call a, a vanity metric sometimes. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. people look at it and you know they want to get to the number because they kind of want to like pin a, a badge on their chest for, for it. But I think that the power in a podcast is the influence that you have and the ability to make the world a little bit better place. So for the you know, for the people who listen to and love the TNT podcast, you know, you guys are having that kind of influence with them and you're spreading ideas and you're encouraging them. And so, you know, if it's all about influence, I mean, don't, don't look too far into the future because you guys are already doing it. So there's a little encouragement for you guys. to hey, keep doing that means doing. a lot coming from you. And well, it's true. <laughs> and I, I think what has helped your success and Casey's success with this podcast too is that you both are you know to use a cliche salt of the earth people just having met both of you in real life and sitting down and having conversations with you you're regular people mm -hmm. uh it, you know you're not this lofty unattainable individual um and I think that speaks volumes to your reach and what you're able to do in education. And well, uh, it's, um, it, it's good stuff. So many people are benefiting. And then like you shared, you're amplifying other thoughts, other voices. And so you're not just relying on what you have, but what others are bringing to the table too. And so you're, you're seemingly growing from others as well. And I love hearing that. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really is one of my favorite parts of, um, you know, being plugged into this education community is just learning from other people. Um, you know, before I, I think I mentioned this earlier before I was in, before I went into education, I was a journalism major in college and I, um, I was actually a a full-time newspaper reporter for a little while. And then through college, I did lots of, you know, part-time, uh, reporting on a variety of different things. And that was one of the things that I loved about that was that I got to meet fascinating people. You know, I got to meet a couple of uh, governors of the state of Indiana. Um, I got to meet an NBA coach. I got to meet, um, I got to, I got to interview Andy Rooney one time over the phone. I mean, like, wow. you know, and then that's just, those are just the like more well-known ones. And then there were all of the local people that were just so brilliant. And I thought it, I am so fortunate that I get to have an audience with these people and I get to ask them questions and I get time where they get to respond to me. And I think that's one of the great things too about podcasts and about YouTube channels and about blogs and about all of that is that, see, for me, I was working at a newspaper and I had a job as a newspaper and there was a built in, you know, subscribership to that, that I got to write for, but anybody can sign up for a blog or can host a podcast or uh, create a YouTube channel. And when you start to do that, that gives you a little bit of credibility to reach out to those people. And um, I feel very fortunate that I get to still do that through a podcast, through a blog, through a YouTube channel, through whatever. And um, I mean, that's what you guys get to do too. And anybody that's listening to this gets to do it. It's amazing how if you say, I have a podcast. Can I interview you? It's amazing the doors that that opens for you to talk to people that you admire and really smart people that you want to learn from. Would would you guys agree with that? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, and I'm the same way. So uh, yeah, that's and and that's that's something that's available to everybody. That's one of the cool things I think about living in the the world that we do in the internet age. That. Um, Anybody's a publisher, anybody is a broadcaster, you know, anybody can be a creator. And when you do that, um, you, you, you get some of that unique access that was only available to people with a TV show or a radio show or a newspaper. And you don't have to have that stuff anymore. Everybody is a creator and um, everybody has that access. No, you were so right. I've actually been encouraging my students to create. For example, there was one just this last week. Um, this student, he has, I don't know what it's called, but some kind of like emotional journal, for lack of a better words. He's oh, yeah? tracking how he feels each day, but it's littered with all of these beautiful illustrations. I thought they were printed on or stamped on, but he hand draws each one. Wow. And he comes up with these um, different templates for each month, each week. There's like main categories, subcategories. It's very detailed. And I told him, hey, you need to copy this and sell it on uh, Etsy or something and get a little something from this. People would pay for this because this is valuable and they can't get it anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see what happens with that. He's not really motivated to share out lacking a little confidence, but I'm going to stay, stay on him and maybe I'll have to help him out with that a little bit because he's a really talented illustrator. And I think what he's doing, is really tapping into, um, 
you know, the social emotional aspect of mm-hmm. what teenagers are going through right now. I, I can yeah. see so many other people, teens, adults, professionals mm-hmm. benefiting from what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, my, my mind starts to spin with outlets for that kind of talent. And, you know, the, the beauty of the world that we live in right now is that if you have a talent like that, it is probably more marketable and more in demand now than any time in history, you know, because you've got so many creative types that are out there, um, companies that are out there that are looking for, you know, ways to boost their social media or to connect with an audience or, you know, you create your own audience and, um, you know, anybody who has a talent like that, they're, you know, and you don't even have to monetize it, so to speak. You can, you know, there's Tumblr, there's Instagram, there's Twitter, there's, you know, a variety of things. You could make little icons and upload them to the Noun Project. You can, you know, there, there's just so much that you can do with it. And um, it's just it's just cool that it's so easy to to get an audience for that kind of talent these days. Yeah. And as we wrap things up with you, Matt, if you were to kind of share some influencers, some people that are doing big things consistently right now, I know you've brought on and worked with some people like Carly Mora, Tara Martin, Claudio Zavala. Who who else might you recommend or a few people? Give us a little list. Oh man, the ones that you just named off right there are some <laughs> of the most brilliant people. I think that that was great. And yeah, so talk about them a little bit. Then. I would love to absolutely. So, um, Carly, if you're if you're not familiar with her, you can find her on Twitter. It's Carly with a K, and her last name is Mora M O U R A. Um, she's a teacher on special assignment in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I thought that she was so brilliant that I hired her to work with me. <laughs> so whenever I say we uh, ditch that textbook, it really mostly means me and Carly. So, um, but she, she does a lot of stuff with, um, my blog and social media and, um, she's just, she, she really gets it when it comes to education, um, about, you know, where it needs to go, what we can do to support and appreciate teachers. And so, um, she does, she does phenomenal work. Um, you know, Tara, I think is really Tara Martin. I think she's uh, at Tara Martin edu on Twitter, I think. Um, yes, with, uh, two M. So it's Tara M Martin. Okay. Gotcha. And, um, you know, one thing, what I think she's really doing is, you know, she's tapping into an emotional side of education and she's doing it in such a vivid and (laughs) I'm going to use her word in in such a real way, um, you know, that it really strikes a chord with people. And I think a lot of times educators, I know I have felt this way myself, want to be heard and want to be validated and they want to be you know, known in this world. And I think she takes a real honest look at what, what it's like. Um, and then there's Claudio, you know, um, Claudio Zavala, um, you know, he, he's done some, some phenomenal video work for me and he's got a great YouTube channel. Um, he's got, he's, I think he's just like this great example of 
how a single person takes their creative talent and makes an outlet for it that helps other people. So he's constantly doing these tutorial videos. Um, he models excellence in how to do media well. And so I think if you watch the way that he does it, in addition to the tips that he shares, it's, it's so good. And, you know, he, he lives his life on social media, the way that he lives it in, you know, in real life where he just, enjoys it and shares it with others. And so, um, yeah, you, you nailed three of them that I would love to mention. I'm glad that you did. So yeah, I always like to brag on people who do great work. So yeah, th those three are, are definitely ones to, to keep an eye on. Yeah. Another highlight from ISTE was somebody mistook me for Claudio. So I was flattered, but oh, I yeah? revealed no, nope. Our logos look the same or look similar. Because yeah. they're both black and white with the bearded guy on there, but no, not Claudio. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on. We yeah. really appreciate it. Uh, Matt, do you want to take us out? Yeah. Thank you, Matt, for being on the Eminem podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Great first episode. Yes, yes, that's right. With many more to come, I'm sure. <laughs> Where can our listeners follow you at? Oh, uh, you know, the best place is probably to go to ditchthattextbook.com. Um, that's the blog where we're publishing, you know, multiple new things every week that we hope will be, um, you know, practical, um, using class tomorrow, um, you know, help you think differently about the way that you teach. Um, you can find all of the social, social media stuff there too. I will mention, um, I've got something free for your listeners. If I can give them. Something oh free. yeah. We all right. Free. free is good. Right. Um, so if you go to ditch that textbook.com slash one Oh one, um, that link will take you to a place where you can get a couple of free eBooks. So I've got a, a free ebook called 101 Practical Ways to Ditch That Textbook. It's different than any of my other print print books. And this has lots of um, you know, practical ways to bring that creative, um, innovative uh, type of teaching, techie teaching into the classroom, just things that you can use in class tomorrow. And so if you go there, um, and put in your your contact information. It'll send you those free eBooks, but it'll also sign you up for my email newsletter where we're just constantly sharing all of these ideas that people can use in their classrooms. So um, I would encourage people to go check that out. Go to ditchthattextbook.com slash 101. Go grab those eBooks and then check out the email newsletter. And I'll bet that might become a pipeline for you to constantly get new ideas that you can try in your classroom. No, and I can affirm that uh, being a subscriber myself, I've gotten tons of ideas and put them into practice and uh, been able to kind of share them with people at my site. And whenever I go to conferences, speaking of conferences, before we let you go, mm -hmm. you have some big conferences coming up. You have uh, FETC, TCEA, mm -hmm. and of course, our favorite Spring Q. Spring Q, yes. And yes. in March, Spring Q, Carly's most likely going to be there. I hope she can be there. I'm hoping <laughs> Tara can be there. Yeah. And uh, it'd be pretty sweet, too, if we could get Claudio. I know I tried to bend his ear a little bit to try yep. and get him to come out. Yep. Um, so hopefully they'll be there as well. 
And then um, you also will be at ISTE. Yes, yes. I will be at the ISTE conference, which is in Anaheim, California this year. So that'll be exciting. Yeah, it's a little bit closer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So looking forward to that. So yeah, yeah, lots of I'm, I've got, I'm, it's, it's cool to, to get to be able to go to some of these because you get to meet so many different people. I've got a couple of other state ed tech conferences, like I'll be at the, the Utah state one, the USAC conference in March. And I get to go to the NC ties one, which is in North Carolina. That's also in March. And then there's the Pete and C conference. That's Pennsylvania's ed tech conference in February. I get to do the opening keynote for that. So um, wow. yeah, lots and lots of opportunities. I hope uh, if you're listening to this, that I'll get to catch up with you at one of these conferences and, and get to meet you. That'd be great. Well, thank you again, Matt. Oh, yeah. You take care. All right. Thank you guys so much. Uh, can he ask you some questions? Uh, yes, absolutely. That'd be awesome. Okay, cool. I'm going to grab them real quick. I'll be right back. All right, cool. Hey, I'm mad. I'm the one who wrote the book that you read. Yeah. That's kind of cool, huh? Yeah. Awesome. What's your name? Vitor. Vitor. All right. It's good to meet you. What grade are you in? Fourth. Fourth. Cool. And so here, let me get a copy of it real quick. So this, can you see it on the screen? Is this yeah. the book? That, is this the book that you read? Yeah. Dude, I wrote that book. Isn't that crazy? Not really. Not really. Okay. All right. That's cool. So why did you want to read? Why did you want to read it? I raised my dad. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What's what do you remember about it? Anything? I remember that you did something too long, and you you wanted your time with your family, but your your family, but your children already gone to sleep. <laughs> you know what? That's the part that everybody remembers. I'm so surprised <laughs> at that. So you remember that part, huh? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Very good. Do you think you'll write a book one day, Vitor? I don't know. I don't like writing that much. Oh, really? Not. Yeah. Okay. I'd rather read one. I think. All right. Hey, that's that's a good thing. It's a good thing to read books. There's lots of books to read. So awesome. Cool. All right. Good deal, man. It was good to meet you. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Yeah. Ask him one question. Uh, oh, you got a question? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, ask did, him that one. How can I ditch all my homework except for field trips? <laughs> how can you ditch all your homework except for field trips? That's a good question. That's tough because if you're assigned homework by your teacher, you kind of got to do it, you know, because um, you got to do it in a respectful way, you know. But if you let them know that there isn't obvious research that says that homework is effective, that might help. But again, be very respectful with it. And um, yeah, that's that's my best bet right there. But the the um, the field trips are awesome though, aren't they? Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's good. Just ask him a moment. That was good. You got another one or are you good? Thank him for his time. Say thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's good to meet you. Good to meet you too. All right, thanks.